Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. Brad, hearing your stories about parenting and how you watched Hank whack Mika with a wooden spoon and you saw the entire thing unfold and obviously he had to be you had to tell him off and you know he's disciplined and everything and i just think as his attorney uh you have a shaky case and none of this is provable in court so i would ask that uh no further punishment is doled out to my client until i have a, had a chance to speak with him and uh refrain from being such a cop please okay well uh, <laughs> my only evidence is gonna be uh the one spoon shaped welt on mika that could have been that could have been anything your honor she tripped and fell into the wooden spoon it's awkward because Mika is also my client. They don't pay me very well. <laughs> Evan, mm-hmm. big day for you. Yes, I've traveled up and down. <laughs> yeah, you- Southern Ontario. That is quite a bit of straight line highway driving. Yeah, I am quite tired. So before everyone on YouTube gets all over my ass. <laughs> <laughs> the the golf is the important part. So what- uh, tell Am I crazy you- for driving six hours to play around a golf at Detroit Golf Club? Yeah, maybe a little bit. But, but it was a great time. The rain held off and we had a lot of fun. And uh, what a track, what a course. It was just super cool and it just oozes history. It was it was a great day. I, you know, as we were planning for this episode, uh, you were like, oh, I'm going to be there Sunday. And we were like, man, it's going to be a late episode recording. And you're like, Detroit Golf Club. And I think I looked at you and said, yeah, that's worth it. There's only two other courses in Michigan I would do that for, and one of those is far too far for me to drive back and forth in one day. Oh, so. you'll have to stay, yeah. Yeah, it was it was awesome. It was a really, really fun day, and uh, I'm going to need like 17 hours in the hot tub after three hours of sitting still, then trying to golf, and then getting right back in the car. My body hurts immensely, but it was sweet. Tough life, man. It is. Let me tell you. Oh, you know what I was doing the day before? I was out on a friend's boat. Oh, chilling in Lake Huron. Yeah, look at that. Evan or Brad, we are not even four or five minutes into this podcast before Evan reminds us that he's living a different life than us on a daily basis. A different life. We're in, we're on different planets, different realities. What's it like? Anyway, no. Yeah. My day was a wooden spoon incident. Folks, welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Believe it or not, we are here to talk to you about Red Wings hockey. Some exciting news about the podcast and our partnership with the Red Wings uh, and uh, goings on around the NHL and the world of hockey. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. On this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, we're going to take this opportunity where the news has slowed down for a little bit during summer break to take a look at a quiet but uh, persistent storyline i'll call it which is dylan larkin and tyler bertuzzi don't have contracts yet and it's not time to panic but it is time to be talking about that so uh, we're going to take a look at those there's some news about former red wings who have found new landing spots around the league uh, and red wings prospects have been making headlines across the world of hockey and maybe we have an inkling as to what sebastian coast is going to do uh some nhl news some international uh hockey news uh and everything else that comes up uh before that some exciting news wing wheel podcast night at the lca in partnership with the with the detroit red wings saturday october 29th uh, and that's the game against the minnesota wild tickets are on 
sale. They are officially live. I believe over a hundred of you have already snagged them. DetroitRedWings.com slash WWP. Again, get your tickets at DetroitRedWings.com slash WWP. If you don't know what a winged wheel podcast night at the LCA is, this is our third time doing it in partnership with the Red Wings. So uh, they've been really great uh, partners to work with. And uh, every ticket sold gets you access to the pregame live podcast, which will feature Ken Daniels and Mickey Redmond and maybe some other special guests. There's going to be a meet and greet with, more importantly, them, but us schlubs as well. Uh, There's going to be merch, giveaways. uh, There's going to be a winged wheel podcast uh, specific seating sections. We have the entire gondola. We have upper bowl and we have lower bowl for you so you can sit wherever uh, you think is best. Um, There's a special winged wheel podcast discount on those tickets and uh, a portion of the proceeds from every ticket sold Uh, is going directly to the Jamie Daniels Foundation. So it's supporting a really great cause. Uh, It's really fun. And there's also going to be a post-event after party uh, details to be determined. So get your tickets today. Uh, They go fast. That gondola especially sells out. It might. I think some of it already is. Yeah. So um, we've been trying to open the tickets earlier and earlier for everyone this year so you can make plans. I know a lot of you travel in, so we're very excited to see you all there. And yeah, and those the people who aren't sure if they should go, they are a ton of fun. It's it's just a really good natural way of meeting other Red Wings fans and you already have a mutual connection with the podcast and it's very very sociable. It's a lot of fun. The after party is goes way past my bedtime. That's the latest you'll see Evan awake. Only my eyes are open, and even that is a struggle. <laughs> your um, eyes and your heart. Yes. But it, it's such a good time, and uh, I can't say uh, – t- there's nothing more I can really say about it. It's so much fun. And Evan gets to do his favorite thing in the world the entire night, which is sign an unholy amount of autographs. Evan loves autographs. He I will lose sign my voice. everything you ask. Yeah. I lose my voice in about three hours into it. It's yeah. fantastic. Uh, I'm – Sorry you weren't there for last event because I had a whole bit. I actually had a, a special Sharpie for you to sign with. Oh, that's yes. fun. Yeah, so anyone who wants their baby's forehead signed, bring them. Evan will sign that baby's forehead. That's right. I mean, please, maybe don't. I don't know. I don't, I don't have babies, so I don't. Is that okay? Would you do that? Non-permanent marker and you're fine. Yeah, okay. Uh, okay, let's get into talking about the Detroit Red Wings. And here's the thing that's, I feel, picked up a lot by national media and by non-Red Wings fans, and it probably frustrates, you know, Hockey Town and, and Red Wings fans to hear this, but Dylan Larkin and Tyler Bertuzzi are going into the final years of their contracts, and they don't have a deal signed. They don't have an extension signed beyond 2022-2023. And of course, the natural inclination for folks is to say, well, if they're not extended and they're that important to the team, are they leaving? Are they being traded? What's going on? You add the layer of, you know, Steve Eisman's not afraid to play hardball with his UFAs, especially the big name ones. It's going to be drilled into your head, but the Steven Stamkos story is uh, the one that's constantly brought up, but for good reason. He let Stamkos walk into unrestricted free agency, literally let him walk into it, and Stamkos came back. He he held strong there. Um, so folks are confident that Larkin is going to sign, especially probably Bertuzzi, uh, but I don't think it's insane for uh, non-Red Wings fans to wonder. I will say I now know how it feels when we do that with every other team's pending free agents. 
Like I had that pipe dream and I knew it would never happen of Barkov if he ever went and he didn't even make it close I, to free agency. I appreciate Florida doing that a year in advance. So we didn't have to go through the full season of. You might have punched me. Oh, I time. was one banging the drum. Like if you're ever going to spend infinity dollars in UFA, this is the guy to do it on. And then, yeah, nothing. Never even got close. So let's start with Larkin. And why don't we start with what's the likelihood of each eventuality? extended at some point during the season uh traded by the deadline or it goes right down to the wire july 1 or whatever the date is in 2023 and from there you see what happens i'll go 70 20 10 70 he resigns 20 he's gone at the deadline 10 they just lose him for nothing uh I don't see them losing him for nothing. You got to think by the trade deadline, Eisman will have a real good feel, at least mentally, where Larkin's at. It's important to know, though, his trade protection has kicked in too, right? Like he yeah. he has a uh, he has a a no move clause, or sorry, a no trade clause right now. So he would have to approve any deal, which then leads you to believe that Eisman probably had a really good idea where Larkin yes. was at two months ago. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's that leads into a lot of the confidence. When I said Larkin's probably going to sign, that's the biggest indicator, other than you know just the good vibes. But yeah, what do you? I'll think? say eighty fifteen five. That's probably closer to where I'm at. I think I'm I'm still really confident for a few different reasons that Larkin's going to sign. One, you know, you don't get this guy all the way past the uh, the sign post or the the flag post moment. I don't really. Uh, know what to call it where his no trade clause kicked in where you know if you didn't think that this was going to go well you might have wanted to make make a move beforehand um eisman just went out and brought in a lot of free agents who on their own individually don't make a playoff or cup competitive roster um and they don't really make sense on their own individually but within the entire construct of a team and building around not just cider and raymond but larkin and bertuzzi that's the only the kind of move you're you're doing if Larkin is staying and Bertuzzi is staying and you're reasonably confident of that, or at least, you know, most of that group. I'll agree with that statement on Larkin, but we'll get to that I, later. Yeah, I, I, I see where you're going and I, I think I'm going to agree with you there too. But in general, yeah, like you're not bringing in all that extra help uh, and spending more and being more competitive in a very strong upcoming draft year um, if you don't think you're going to keep you're probably your second most important player right now in Dylan Larkin. And also, you know, he's the captain. He loves Detroit. The identity of the captain in Detroit isn't some like flippant thing where it comes and goes. It sounds elitist, but this is an original six team with a storied history where every single captain um, more or less has a reason to have their name in the history books, often in the rafters and in the Hockey Hall of Fame. That means a lot. That means a lot for legacy, and Larkin has bought in in a big way. You know, Michigan kid, he's so ingrained and embedded in the community, and he's seen through this rebuild uh, the toughest parts, and I just can't see Dylan Larkin wanting to leave that. That said, those are all the, the things that give you a good uh, good impression. Also, Elliot Friedman uh, mentioned that it seemed like negotiations were going well. He didn't say anything was inevitable, was inevitable but earlier this summer he said – it seems like things are going well. As much information as you can glean from the Eisman camp, read barely anything. Um, but 
Larkin did at essentially the 11th hour before these negotiations started, I guess, uh, change his representation. He switched to a new agency to a group that notoriously gets the most for their clients and probably GMs and assistant GMs everywhere don't love working with these guys. It's part of the business. It's it's a naturally antagonistic relationship, but these these agents get their clients max dollars. Yeah. And, you know, there's no rush on anything yet. There's several dates throughout this process that I would think would be significant in terms of shifting our thinking on how this is going. None of those have hit so far. Um, you know, the first one, I'll give basically three dates in my mind. And one of them is kind of arbitrary. So take it with a grain of salt. The first one's uh, season opener. If he's not signed his extension by the time the season gets underway, that's usually a pretty good, pretty good indication that there's something significant holding it up. That could be just a no trade clause, not necessarily dollar amount or term, or it could be term or it could be AV. I don't know, but something significant. To clarify by no trade clause, you mean on the new contract, on the negotiating new, the on protection. The new, yeah. yeah. Um, because, you know, most GMs, most players, they don't want the distraction during the season, whether or not people say, well, it shouldn't be a distraction. It is. It always is. You know, we will talk about this every damn week throughout the season until he's signed. And you know that all of you will be in our comments asking us every week throughout the season until it's signed, which means the reporters in the room are going to be asking Larkin about it every week until it's signed. And every Eisenman press conference will have that question inevitably brought up. So if it's not done by the by opening night, that's uh, the first telltale sign that, okay, there might be something here. The second one for me would be the day the first trade bait board gets posted. Whenever that might be mid-season. Oh, the TSN or TSN whatever. or the Athletic or whoever. They post a trade bait board. Oh, Cause, God. Because then, <laughs> then we're in trade deadline season with an expiring asset of significant value who every contender in the league would bend over backwards to acquire. So now that's going to be in the headlines all the time. And then you start wondering, will Eisenman entertain that? Will Larkin with his no move clause entertain wanting to go to a contender? So if that date hits and he's still not signed, then it puts a whole new dynamic on the negotiations. Because I think up until that point, it'll just be, what's the sticking point? Why haven't they extended? At that point, it's, is he staying? Is like, you know what I mean? And then the trade deadline obviously being the final big date because if he gets past that, still a Red Wing, no contract extension. All right, five alarm fire. Something has to give here because the Red Wings have to extend him at that point because you can't let him walk for nothing. And then Larkin holds literally all of the leverage. Man, imagine how Tampa Bay Lightning fans felt during the Stamco saga. Like they watched him walk into free agency and literally take meetings with other teams was it canadian tire that toronto brought in yeah into that because they said he's they were going to make him a they were going to sponsor him and that was a bunch of extra money and then there's no such thing as cap circumvention though no none no i that that whole stamco saga though it was a little different than the larkin thing just because tampa was coming off not a cup but a lot of success they were a good team um <laughs> the teams that were trying to court Stamkos, we're not. <laughs> yeah. And so I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Tropic Thunder. Yes. When uh, Tug goes back over the bridge to be with Half Squat. 
And then, and then he's just running back. He's getting stabbed in the neck. I was wrong. It's like Eisenman saw that coming with Stamkos. Yeah. And then I, Stamkos came running back across the bridge. Maybe the Red Wings have a great season. Do you think the Red the way the Red Wings perform this season will have a big impact on on Larkin's? I, I just can't see a world where Larkin doesn't want his first and best choice is for this to work out with Detroit in terms of a long-term contract. No, I, I do think that is probably his priority. Again, Michigan boy, captain of the Red Wings. If Friedman had any intel saying that the negotiations were amicable and going well and they got past that date of where his no-move clause kicked in, it's like, okay, yeah, we, we at this point, we have no reason to raise any alarm bells. None, zero. Hence why I said those dates are what are going to start because neither side has any need to be in a rush right now mm-hmm. for all the reasons that I kind of talked about with those dates. It's... Larkin might be squeezing for an extra 200000 a year. Maybe Eisenman's going, hey, instead of a full no move, can it just be like a modified no trade? Like, who knows what it could be, right? Um, and I, I'm guessing it's going to be on the AAV because I don't think Eisenman has any intentions on trading Larkin. I think both sides probably are fully comfortable and want to go a full eight year. So it's just, okay, well, how much are we paying you a year? Larkin's like, I'm your number one center. Give me 10 mil. And Eisenman's like, yeah, but you're like a bottom third of the league number one center. You're just eight. Like, I don't know. Um, so, yeah, it, it's fine. And this is how negotiations work. And Larkin's no dummy. He knows this is going to be the biggest contract of his life. Why? Me would- they trade him at the trade deadline. Then he re-signs in Detroit in the offseason. <laughs> For how often that's brought up, it is Shocking. This is a 40, ever happened. 40 chest play. Uh, all orchestrated by Dylan Larkin and Steve Eiserman. Now yeah. that this all being said, getting to the worst case scenario of this, if Eisenman brings in all these reinforcements to make the team good, and he goes through the Red Wings have a half decent season, you know, just miss the playoffs or even get bounced in the first round, and then they lose their star number one center. That will be Eisman's first big abject failure of this rebuild because you cannot hit the go button and then lose your number one center immediately after hitting it. Like you can't under like, no circumstance can that happen. It's like unless, pouring it and then when your wheels yeah. falls off. Yeah. If you trade him at the deadline and you get a package like the Sabres got for Jack Eichel, sure. It's a step backwards, but at least you're looking, well, look at all these new toys. We're still fine for the next 10 years. Okay. But losing him for nothing. Like that, that's just not an option. If Dylan Arkin resigned with Detroit after being traded, Evan, <laughs> get off this. <laughs> I'm not dealing with would the he this question. still, and he was made the captain. Would he still be considered the X captain oh, of the Red Wings, or would he be the X plus one captain, th- you're, captain you're, of the of the Detroit Red Wings? You are asking the real question. Answer the no. You answer the question. Point five. If there is no one named captain. Like Fourteen point five. Do we hold a welcome back, and do we do a tribute video? <laughs> <laughs> That's the real question. Is is there a tribute video? Because I'm not standing for it. You can all stand and clap. I will not. Okay. We just because, you know, this is a good discussion to have and I'm I'm really big on discussing all eventualities here that are even reasonable. Uncomfortable though that they might be, which still includes 
the scary ones that Brad and Evan just talked about. Dylan Larkin traded Stop. the deadline, re-signs Stop. with that team for eight years, traded back to the Red Wings, half retained. I am going to stab both <laughs> of you under this table. That's that's smart. <laughs> you know the episode's off to a bad start when Evan is nodding along saying something Brad said is smart. We'll see where this goes. Okay, let's talk the most likely outcome. And and I think we all agree this the contract we said, you know, anywhere from 75 to 85% is is the most likely outcome here. Make your prediction. Term and years. Or uh sorry, term and uh AAV here. 8.71 times 8. That's actually very close to what I was going to say. And I like what you did there with the 71. <laughs> what I would love to do is do some sort of query on cap friendly where it's like you filter out by like centermen all that and you get a some sort of cap range because I feel like number one center is all over the map. Like obviously the the big teams, their number one center gets paid a boatload. But what does what does the other end I of think, the spectrum look like? Well, I think you actually make more than Arizona's number one center <laughs> right now. That's right. Did I tell you something? Did I tell you guys Kyler Murray in? Football is making more than the entire Oakland A's. Yeah. I heard something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is ludicrous. Something <laughs> that. He was drafted by the Oakland Ooh, A's. People drafted wondering him. if they, he made the right decision or not. Yeah. Hmm. And I think the A's went on a win streak and everyone was like with such little raw. Anyhow. Um, so the the evolving hockey contract projection has the most likely term as eight years for Larkin and the AAV on that being 8.044 million per year. So just a shade over $8 million a year times eight years. That's what their contract projection is. Um, Without doing any research whatsoever, for some reason, 8.5 came up in my brain almost immediately. Here's the thing. I bet, you know, you both brought up really good points. What was uh, my point? <laughs> no, about about number one centers oh, and how they're yeah, paid yeah. and things like that. And I guarantee you, like Larkin switched his representation, and that's because Larkin knows this is going to be literally the biggest payday of his life, right? He's going to sign an eight-year contract. He's 26 years old. This is going to be, this is his best earning potential for the rest of his days. So he wants to maximize those dollars and make sure that he is equipped with the the staffing and the representation to do so. Fair enough. That's what the players are meant to do. Um, so we can assume that the ha- the ask isn't going to be you know, a team friendly deal as an initial ask, which anyone would be crazy to think that your number one center would or should do that. I bet the ask is, I shouldn't say I bet. Baseless speculation is the ask is anywhere from like 9.5 to maybe just over 10 per year times eight, because you're supposed to start high the same way you're supposed to start low if you're on the other side. I think there's a chance they could land at eight times nine. I would guess that Brad, you're probably closest with 8.71. But then again, Evan, like what you said with 8.5, that's probably most reasonable. Um, my, gosh, my, what would those, what would, what would that multi millionaire do with being short 300K? Yeah. Well, here's the thing like the, the evolving hockey projection is just at a shade over eight. So folks might be wondering, well, Eisman actually came in and he beat the contract projections for most of their major signings over this past free agency period. So why are you projecting over? The number one center thing, the new representation thing, and there's now news from around the NHL. Uh, Bill Daly has talked about maybe the cap is going to go up sooner than what they thought. 
Like this could be two or three years. If it's two years where the cap starts to rise significantly more than just, you know, a mil a year. Drip out of the tap and Kyle Dubas is like got his tongue out. <laughs> wow, that's an image. Thank yeah, you for that. You're welcome. There's, you know, some people would pay good money for that uh, in Toronto for what you just, uh, right. that that's picture right. you just painted. Um, that is going to be a conversation that the agents are going to bring up in the room. And Eisenman's response is going to be, hey, in 24-25, I have to re-sign Jacob Verana. Uh, don't know what David Perron and Dominic Kublik are going to be doing. Philip Peronik is an ARB eligible, eligible RFA. Uh, Moritz Sider is going to be up for his contract and Lucas Raymond is going to be up for his contract. And that's going to be mega bucks for those guys. So there's probably a tug of war here between the agents saying the cap's going to go up and you can afford this. And it's not even that big of an overpay. And Eisenman saying we can't get into a cap hole everyone to buy into this look what we built in tampa everyone bought in a little bit for the most part um and we need a little bit of give there because we have these important players that larkin loves to play with like cider and raymond you want momo on your team we need money to give momo and we don't live in florida where there's no income state tax and those contracts are actually worth more over there yeah then that's working against Eisman, yeah, his players are going to yeah. be asking for more money. Yeah. So, and it's worth mentioning. We've kind of alluded to it, but like just to just point it out plainly, Larkin has literally all the leverage here. He has a full no move clause, and this season walks him right into unrestricted free agency. So, if he does not get the contract he likes now, he will get it next summer, and it won't be from Detroit. I think again, and I we don't know what these players are thinking. We certainly don't know what Steve Eisenman's thinking, but just based on Larkin's career trajectory with Detroit, I see it as way more reasonable to expect Larkin to buy into the give and take and buy into the Eisner plan, so to speak, than it is Bertuzzi based on what we've seen from Bertuzzi's contract negotiations to date. So all in all, I think eight years is probably what we're going to see. I'd be surprised if it was less. I'd say you guys are right between, you know, eight and a half and eight point seven five million. That would be about my guess. I'll I'll go I'll go friendly to Eisman here and I'll say eight times eight point four. Yeah, I think Larkin's initial ask is probably in the mid nines and Eisman's initial ask was in the low eights. I split the difference. I could I honestly could see a world where it's a little wider divide where Eisman said eight point eight times seven point eight and Larkin's ask was like eight times 10.25 it doesn't really matter it's all in the margins i i i can see a world where it's over nine i'd be surprised if it was much over nine no yeah i think nine and a half would be the absolute ceiling yeah and that's if detroit's you know cap doctors had an inside or you know teams all know the way finances are going they they project hey yeah the cap is going to rise significantly so 8.6 now is the same as 9.5 in however many years or whatever. So we can afford that, but we'll see how it goes to me. The it's not so much the cap space. It's the fact that you have cider and Raymond coming up. That's going to be absolutely massive. So I still think it happens. I think it's uncomfortable to talk about trade, how bad this can go, you know, walking into free agency, all that's horrible, but you know, it's a possibility until he signed. Uh, but it's most likely that he signs. So that's the easy one. Now let's talk about Tyler Bertuzzi. Similar to Dylan Larkin, 
He is in the final years of his, of his contract. He is going to be an unrestricted free agent at the end of it. He is a year older. He's currently 27. Um, and he has had two rocky negotiations with the Red Wings, uh, wherein arbitration had to decide his contract. And it's, I don't know. I, 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 the optimist in me says Bertuzzi won't sign until Larkin signs because Larkin's going to be the benchmark. So I'm not really worrying there yet. But Bertuzzi has also been, I think for a lot better reason, the name that's been floating around in potential trades uh, over the past year or so. This was made even more dramatic by his um, inability to play in Canadian games due to COVID uh, vaccination rules, uh, being one of the only players in the NHL and oftentimes the only player in the NHL uh, with that stipulation being applied to him and not knowing how that was received in the front office. And we don't know how that's going to shake out for next season yet. It's a really complicated situation. Here are the good parts. Eiserman, similar to Larkin, has said he's going to make it a priority to sign Bertuzzi. Bertuzzi had a career year, is a phenomenal player, and I would argue as of right now, one of the most important players on the Red Wings uh, based on not only his production, but what he brings to the chemistry of the team. Uh, like Evan's favorite term, like a real glue guy, he's so well-loved by his teammates, um, gives it 140% at all times on the ice, is always running through a wall for his teammates and makes you want to run through a wall for the Red Wings as well. So clearly a great player to have, but what happens next with Tyler Bertuzzi? I'd love to hear your sign, trade, walk to free agency predictions. And he has no... It's not quite the same. <laughs> no, he has no trade protection right now. Like he, they, Eisenman could trade him tomorrow. Um, 50-50-0. Wow. Oh, that's... You know what? He's not walking for nothing. They're either extending him or he's gone at the deadline. I have... There's, I don't see reality. They, he just walks away because again, no trade protection, so he doesn't control his own fate. They're the type of player that GMs trip and fall over themselves for to acquire. So if he does decide that he does not want to extend in Detroit, there will be a very long line of suitors, um, and his cap hit right now is low enough that even the contenders could generally comfortably take it on. And it would not be a hard trade to negotiate because Detroit retains half and then probably takes on a pretty shitty fourth liner contract to allow acquiring team to get him. So um doesn't have all the complications and um, barriers that trading Larkin would. Um, the history of the negotiations lead me to believe that, again, like you said, this is not as much of a sure thing as Larkin was. Um, again, we won't get into the million other complications, but the other thing from Eisenman's perspective, and he kind of proved it this off season, Bertuzzi's way more replaceable than people want to give it credit for. Now, I'm not saying Bertuzzi's a bad player. I'm absolutely not saying that. He's legitimately a first line forward who can produce extremely well, yada, yada, yada. Take type of player and just look at raw production, okay? In terms of value they bring on the ice. Functionally, what's the difference? in terms of production between Tyler Bertuzzi and David Perron. Sorry, avoid type of player? Avoid type of player. Just look at stats, numbers, production, contract he just signed. <sighs> Age obviously goes to Bertuzzi, but if a winger like David Perron can still produce near a point per game in his mid to late 30s and sign for a contract that costs basically nothing, 
why is Eisman going to pay a guy like Tyler Bertuzzi seven, eight mil a year when that can go to Cider, Raymond, Larkin, maybe a goalie in a couple of years? Wingers are not that hard to come by anymore. Like, I mean, just this offseason, look at what Eisman did beyond Perron. He got Kubelik. I know Kopp is going to be center, but he's played wing. Like, it can be done. And it, not, not saying that he can replace um, a player equal to Bertuzzi that easily, but it can be done by committee. It can be done a hell of a lot cheaper. And then all of a sudden, that frees up money for centers, defensemen, goalie. It's, it's, like I said, it's complicated because this isn't Larkin. This isn't a center. There is no no move clause. There's no history. Like, there is a history of, yeah, the, these contract negotiations haven't gone well. You know, obviously my my brain tells me, well, yeah, you resign him. He's a damn good player. And you have a damn good player, you keep a damn good player. But this is one where if he's asking for a lot of money and a lot more term than Eisenman's comfortable with, it's probably not a bad idea to go, yeah, we're not paying you seven by seven. Here's the haul we're getting for you at the deadline. Good luck to you. To give people a, a description of his last two um, contract negotiations, Tyler Bertuzzi's uh, not most recent contract, the one before was awarded through arbitration. Uh, I believe it was a um, it was a one year, $3.5 million uh, deal. And then the contract after, I believe, went to the end of July. Uh, before he signed a two-year deal that walked him right to unrestricted free agency. A two-year deal going to unrestricted. I'm sure we said it back then. A two-year deal for a top-level player like Bertuzzi that walks him right to unrestricted is rare. That they were. That doesn't happen super often. I wouldn't be surprised if on the way home, Steve Eiserman literally kicked a can down the road after signing that deal because that's all they were doing they were kicking the can down the road because it was a tough negotiation they wanted Bertuzzi long term Bertuzzi is like well I have been injured and not performed to the level that I know I can perform so I'm not going to sign long term at the dollar you're offering me so I'll take this you know lowered rate uh, of just of uh, just under five 4.75 for two years and then I want full flexibility as an unrestricted free agent so that's the that's the the contract negotiation history that Brad was referring to. I'm going to call this Brad you said 50-50-0. I agree with you 0%. I'll I'll say 1% because I don't want to say it's impossible. Yeah, the Red Wings got to be comfortably in a playoff spot to I'll say 60% sign, 39% traded, 1% go to the deadline. The only reason I say 60% sign is because I still think there's a world where he's traded after he's signed, and that is just the vestiges of the Anthony Mantha ordeal living within me, so I won't let that go. But I can't disagree with your points. Like I think I think the value of a player like Tyler Bertuzzi, especially considering all of Dylan Larkin's other friends that he lost, that shouldn't be undersold. I, I think there are I, I probably differ from you in terms of how much I value Tyler Bertuzzi to the current core of this team. But in general, really good wingers are not easy to find, but they're easier to find than a number one defenseman or a number one center. Or a number one goalie. And the good news is the Red Wings look like there's a chance, not guaranteed, but there's a chance they could be flush with very good wingers. So you have backup plans. And then if you do trade Bertuzzi, you're bringing in someone else to fill in either that hole in the roster or another one. I would go. I'm. I'm basically agree with you, Ryan. 
I was I had sixty forty zero in my head. Yeah. Like you guys mentioned, there's no way they let a guy walk who's got no trade protection whatsoever. So I don't that would be a royal disaster if that happened. And I just do not see that being a possibility. Um I I think 60% because I agreed with your logic uh, in terms of, you know, the the logic behind his his recent contracts like obviously you're hurt, you take the shorter deal, you bet on yourself and for the most part I would say it kind of worked out for Tyler Bertuzzi. Um Oh, in a big way. So just because it goes to arbitration all that stuff doesn't mean it's this hot and heated debate and it it can just be nuanced sometimes and I I think that's probably that that's what it kind of feels like to me, um, and I always find it difficult for players to just up and move themselves from an organization they've been with since they've been drafted. Like it, a lot of guys always flirt with the idea, and it seems like more guys end up back with the team than yeah. than moving on somewhere else. Um, He's got a young family, a newborn. Um, and has stated in the past when rumors were coming up around the trade deadline, someone, I can't remember exactly what it was, insinuated that he had discussed the possibility of a trade and he came out and said, like, no, I want to stay with the Red Wings, which, you know, sometimes you read between the lines. Oftentimes GMs and players will outright lie because that's the business thing to do. But you look at the way Tyler plays and interacts with his teammates and how much he loves Detroit and the fact that he outright said that, I'm inclined to believe that his preference is to stay in Detroit. Yeah, I would think so too. It's just, I think it's going to be very simple. It's going to be, what number is, what is the range on the Bertuzzi camp in terms of contract? What's the Red Wings and can they find a middle ground? And sometimes it's just business. If they can't come to an agreement, he's going to get shipped off somewhere else. That's the thing. Like, And it may have nothing to do with, is Tyler Bertuzzi a good guy or whatever you think about him or is... Does he want too much money or whatever, whatever it is? Like sometimes it's just dollars and cents. And you have one of the most notoriously cold and calculating GMs in the league right now on the other side of the negotiations. That's the real big grain of salt for all of this. It's like, yeah, Bertuzzi wants to be here. Yeah, Larkin wants to be here. I just saw Matthew Kachuk get traded in a blockbuster trade that nothing is off the table anymore. No. That is the dopamine I need. <laughs> Not all the Red Wings, though. <laughs> Don't tell me any lesser trades. Only massive dopamine injections. <laughs> That's your standard for the NHL? Right into the eyeballs. Well, we have some bad news for Ed. Well, Dmitry Kulikov just got traded for future considerations. Ah, <laughs> uh, poor future considerations. Already, always getting moved, eh? Careful, Brad. You're going to blow the roof off this place with breaking news like that. Okay. If Bertuzzi stays in signs, which it seems like, even though being less confident, all of us agree is the most likely outcome, or at least for you, Brad... It's a it's a coin toss. Um, term in AAV, what would be your prediction? The sorry, the evolving hockey prediction. Their most likely contract is uh, it's actually just barely a five year term. Six year term is a little less likely, likely, but five years at just about six point seven per year. <laughs> That's horseshit. I was gonna say seven by five. That's funny. <laughs> God damn it. Yeah. Well, now I gotta change my answer. Uh, four by eight. <laughs> Four by eight. No, a seven by five. What's what number's first? A dollar? Yeah, you're, you're seven AAV by five years. Yeah, so seven million dollars a year times five years. Yeah. Here's the thing. He's 27, right? So 
if you're if you're Tyler Bertuzzi, you wanted to do, do the Dylan Larkin sign for as many years as you can right now. You could probably flip my numbers and that would also work. <laughs> um, because you've had tough back surgery. You play a hard-nosed game and you are in your best years right now. You might be starting to curve downwards in a couple of years. Well, maybe the- sooner, maybe later. You don't really know. But his style of player you don't really want to sign too far past 32. One argument I will put in favor of Tyler Bertuzzi, which is the opposite for Dylan Larkin is generally the first thing to go as players age. And as they start to decline is they're skating. He's, well, Bertuzzi can't freaking skate now. He's not, he's not <laughs> a notoriously good skater, but he, he he's makes, a, he's a terrible state skater by NHL standards, but he's still a great player. He exactly, makes his exactly. game. Isn't based on his skating. Exactly. Yeah. So if, if he can keep his smarts and his grit and his hands and his, you know, all that about him, it'll be fine. Like his, his decline shouldn't be rapid. Um, but so you're, what's the most, what's the most years? Like what's the longest term you'd be comfortable signing Tyler Bertuzzi? Oh, I'd give him eight, but that's coming at a very reduced AAV. Would you do eight times 6.7? No. Like we're talking, if you were getting eight on, on a winger, that's gotta be a hell of a bargain. Like Like eight by five. Ish, yeah. I don't think he'd take that. No, I, I wouldn't if that. I were Bertuzzi either. But again, as I already kind of went on my spiel about wingers. I'm I, taking, I, if I'm Tyler Bertuzzi, I am taking the most total dollars available. Interesting. I How many guys have we seen take shorter deals and then it just, the next one never appears? John Klingberg. That's yeah. a f- exactly the person I was thinking of. Yeah. And... Everyone already has a question mark about longevity to Tyler Bertuzzi with health-related, back-related, because as everybody knows, once the back or the hips go, you're on the clock. So if I'm Tyler Bertuzzi, I'm taking the biggest biggest Brings trucks that, that backs up into my house. Because the thing with overpaying Bertuzzi is I, I would much rather do it on the AAV on a shorter term deal again, because I'm not as concerned about being able to replace him at the end of it again, see winger. Um, but because over the next five ish years, the Red Wings are going to be flush with ELCs that will help the higher AAVs on, on some of the contracts on the team. So you can afford to pay Bertuzzi an extra mil, mil and a half a year and be pretty comfortable with it. When Simon Edmondson and Marco Casper and, you know, pick a couple other guys are, are, are making, Casual you know, less idea. than 4 million combined. Yeah. So a question here is before you, you, you say Eisenman's going to do this or that is when does Eisenman think the Red Wings are going to be competitive? And then the other half of that question is how long do you think Bertuzzi will be this good? Because if it's, if you don't think the the wings are going to be competitive in the next three years and you don't think Bertuzzi is going to be as good as he is today in four years, then he won't be as good as he is today in four years. I think everybody think knows that. No, no, but, do you but think it'll you go, be within range. Like it'll, it'll be in range relative to percent of cap. Okay, but that's good. That means yeah. Bertuzzi will still be his decline. Will be pretty. Again, I don't think it will be very steep. And just like the cap will be going up at not a super dramatic pace, those two should offset each other comfortably. I can see five. I can honestly five year see five years times seven million. Why would he sign a five-year deal? I just because don't he's getting it. a seven mil AAV to be a complimentary 
winger. The next thing I was going to say well, is- What if I, he just walks to free agency and gets more than and that? And he might bet he on might, that. Yeah. And in which case, Steve Osmond's going to get a haul for him. Yeah. I don't see how that works. I just don't see how that works out well for Tyler Bertuzzi, given what we've literally just witnessed in free agency. Because we have seen in many cases over the last however many years, if you're coming off a significant injury, it scares the ever-living shit out of a lot of GMs. Yeah. And back surgery is no joke. And then you never get that five-year deal for whatever. It doesn't even matter what the number is because you just don't get it. You get one and two-year deals that never equal out to the $35 million you could have just taken with Detroit. Like, And let's be honest here. Like, We know what the rules in the NHL are and we know not a single agent or GM abides by them at all. Bertuzzi's agent has absolutely talked to other GMs like, hey, if my client hits the market next yeah, summer. Yeah, it's, it's weird how when yeah. it's 12.01 exactly. p.m. there's 17 deals that have already gone through. So if, if every other what GM What are you implying, saying, Evan? Yeah. Something unbecoming of the NHL? And if every other GM saying, we'll give you all the money you want, but we're not giving you the term because your back scares the shit out of us. And then Eisenman's going, I'm going to give you as much AAV as you want, but I'm not giving you your term because your back scares the shit out of me then he's just picking do i like detroit better and do i want to stay here right like if every other gm is saying the exact same thing why would he risk that but if he's got a good vibe that if i go to free agency i'm getting a you know a seven by seven well yeah then of course he's not gonna take there's gonna be a team that i think would do that oh there probably will be and that's how this always shakes out yeah it's funny because i thought i could see I'm drawing sorry, arbitrary, and I got to add the caveat. Bertuzzi also has to keep in the back of his mind that he's like, okay, well, if I'm not signing this here and I play this season and my back goes out again, done. Never seeing another big contract in his That's life. That's what I'm saying. You take the biggest amount of dollars you can get right now. I could see like what Brad was saying is, you know, you're giving him the AAV and not the term. And I think, Evan, you're probably pretty spot on is take the most dollars that you possibly can. My thought was, okay, what's Bertuzzi asking for? Like a sixth or seventh year here? Maybe this is all just arbitrary in my head. Um, And I could see like a a shade under seven. And I was like 6.9 would be funny. And lo lo and behold, yeah, the the cat front or the the evolving hockey projection is on a six-year deal would be six point, just about 6.9 million. Nice. Um, for reference, if if you're looking for a player who has pretty good production, plays a very gritty style game, and is around this age, uh, the Red Wings just signed him. It's Andrew Kopp. Bertuzzi, slightly higher production, Andrew Kopp, premium position. For now. There's a there's yeah. a big thought that Andrew Kopp, as he ages out, will, go, he will flip to wing. Ideally, he will flip to wing, but I'm just saying... Is Bertuzzi going to get that much more than Andrew Kopp just got? I, I would say yes, more because he is outscoring him by 15 to 20 points a season, and that's not nothing. But that also gets a little balanced up by the fact that Kopp can play center. Can you do me a really good favor and tell me Bertuzzi's counting stats over the past however long you think is relevant? I was just going to say, because I'm going to push back, and I think Bertuzzi's, um, I think Bertuzzi's production is a little bit better. It's comfortably better about 15 to 20 points a season if i'm not mistaken so andrew cop last season um give me the past four seasons andrew cops last four seasons uh he had 53 points between the jets and the rangers last year 39 points um 26 points and then 25 points and that was all in like 
50-ish games most of those seasons that I'm I'm pretty I'm guessing. Uh 63 or sorry, 69. Nice. 63, 55 and uh 72. And Tyler Bertuzzi obviously has had a wacky career where he had to miss like an entire season. He played 9 games, 7 points. He looked good in those 9 games. Last season he had 62 points in 68 games. Uh 2019, 2020, 48 points in 71 games and uh 47 points in 73 games so so yeah bertuzzi's stats comfortably ahead like i said about the range i I thought it was but again caught premium position similar ish players and andrew cop with no injury history are there are there contracts going to be that different andrew cop right now is on a five times 5.625 million dollar deal so just to give you an idea of where he's at and, and what Brad's talking about with and comparison. And he was older when he signed that contract than Bertuzzi, isn't he? So uh, I think by, we're, by a year. We're probably talking like in the 30 to $40 million range. Yeah. Total AAV over the length of the contract. Yeah, Asman's like, I'm giving you 35 mil. You break it down however you want. <laughs> See, honestly. I'll guess it's over 40. $35 million, one-year deal. I'll guess it's... <laughs> Uh, I'll guess it's over 40, under 43. If we see anything, I'll call it three, maybe four years and under, that is a deal to trade away Bertuzzi later on. I don't think so. No? I, I, I think that if it's under that, it's just signing Bertuzzi for what they think his peak value is going to be. All right. There's no way he makes more money if they divide that, but basically break it into two contracts. Because I don't see a world where Tyler Bertuzzi is more valuable in three years. No, it's it. The, okay, just to summarize all of this, I'm not. You can't be confident in anything going on in the Red Wings organization because it's Fort Knox. But considering the context, you can glean a, quite a bit of information of information from the Larkin deal. I'm pretty confident in the general range of what that will likely end up being. Bertuzzi's situation for term, Bertuzzi's situation for dollars. Bertuzzi's situation for relationship with the team and past negotiations and Bertuzzi's situation for longevity and injury history, uh, although Brad had really good points to counter that. Still, all of those are unpredictable and make this a complete wild card for me. I could see something so so insane as a one-year deal for high dollar and I could see an eight-year deal where Bertuzzi takes way less money because it's, like Evan said, more guaranteed money over time i genuinely have no certainty here as to what the range will be but if i had to guess it would be the most you know statistically likely five to six year range in what we talked about but it is truly going to be a a wild situation with bertuzzi and my guess would be is he would wait for larkin they'll get larkin done first if everything goes as planned but that's you never know okay before we move on here, uh, I want to let you know that this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast is proudly brought to you by NordVPN. Are you missing out on a game or your favorite show because it's not available in your region? Let me introduce NordVPN. Using NordVPN in a click of a button, you can watch and browse as if you're elsewhere in the world, making sure you never miss a game and can watch whatever content you'd like. No need to travel across the continent or oceans for your favorite team when NordVPN brings them right to you. With over 5,000 server options, no game or show is out of your reach. Using the link nordvpn.com slash wingedwheel, you can receive a huge discount on NordVPN's cybersecurity two-year plan plus four free months. We all love to binge, but privacy is a big deal too. 
NordVPN keeps your information encrypted so you never have to worry about your IP or location getting out. They've also doubled down on keeping you safe with their new threat protection feature. Say goodbye to intrusive website ads and malware. Even if you download an infected file, threat protection kicks in and deletes it before it makes a mess of your computer. And don't forget, there's literally no risk to you with their 30-day money-back guarantee. Give it a try, and if you like it, great. If you don't, they'll issue a refund, and you can pretend the entire thing never happened. Check out our special link, nordvpn.com slash wingedwheel, to get your subscription started today. So thoughts on the Bill Daly um, comments and just the general buzz around the league about the cap going up maybe sooner than expected. I already gave my imagery. That's yeah, that was too much for me. And it, I, I know Toronto will be eager. I know the teams that are right up against the cap will be eager. But what will that change for you in terms of the way this league operates? Because how many trade deadlines and how many you know free agency periods have we come to so far where things have been at a logjam? And it's because GMs have been saying, we don't have the dollars. We don't have the dollars for that extra million even on the cap. Do you want to know my controversial opinion on what's going to happen? Yeah. Won't change a damn thing. Teams recklessly spend to the cap. They see every shiny new toy in free agency and overpay them, thinking, oh, we'll make the room. We'll find the room. It won't be a problem. Third liners making four million, you know, backup goalies making three. Like nothing's going to change. It's just instead of uh, overpaying those free agents by uh, two million a year, now they'll overpay them by three million a year just to get them. It's. I don't think spending to the cap is reckless. I think you should no, be spending to the rec- cap. It's if not you're- reckless. It's how they get there. <laughs> you're just taking previous historical data and yeah. applying it you, you to, saw, to inflation. Yeah, you saw free agency, right? Just when we thought everybody learned their lesson, you know, coming out of the pandemic. And we don't want people to learn their lesson. Then Evan can't get his dopamine hits. No, no, no. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Entertainment value. It's fantastic. And, you know, the higher salary cap just means the chaos is going to get even more chaotic because all that it might change is there might be one or two extra teams in the bidding wars for each player. I'll tell you what Which this then just drives up the price and percent of cap. And here we all here we are all over again. What this means for Detroit it's really important. It could be extremely well-timed or it could just be pretty well-timed because like I mentioned earlier, in 2024, 2025, there are some big contracts to hand out, including Lucas Raymond's and including Moritz Sider's, which you know might be $9 million, or you know he might be the highest paid player on the Red Wings or you know tied with Dylan Larkin's money or whatever it might be. That's going to be a lot of salary. The Red Wings are in a good position. They have cap space. They have, you know, Eisenman has gotten rid of the handcuffs and the anchor contracts from the the end of the Holland era and has only his own contracts to work with now. And it seems like he's setting himself up for the future. You know, looking at who they have beyond this year, there's a whole lot of red UFA markers and and blue uh, RFA markers. He has the flexibility. Um, But man, having more money to play with makes a massive difference when you have stars and superstars like cider uh the only thing you need to be added the only thing you can't mess up is predicting how much the cap will go up because if you overestimate that value you start to pinch yourself further down the line yeah you know i think because you're working on it with in such on such a micro basis like if the cap goes up you know, six million in two years or whatever it might be. I don't know. You're, that would be significant. It's not going to be the difference of like millions and millions of dollars per year for each player. It'll be a little bit, 
comparatively speaking, but that can open up a lot in negotiations. You now have breathing room and you have flexibility to move. Um, it's just another chip in your pile to play with. But yeah, spending as if the cap's going to go up $10 million a year for the next four years and then it doesn't happen, then yeah, you're going to be boned. I don't, well, I don't want to say no one will do that. Teams will make that mistake, but um, I don't see the Red Wings necessarily doing that, of course. Every contract the Red Wings sign after we know what that cap hit is, it doesn't matter because team the agents are going to no- negotiate on percent of cap. If if it's Mo Sider and the cap's up five mil by that point, his agents going to go, okay, well he was nine mil worth nine mil last year. Now he's worth nine point four because it's the same damn percent. Where this could be opportunistic for. All teams, and obviously the Red Wings included, are the contracts you sign now, long term. Because if you get Larkin for 871 or whatever it is now, and that cap goes up significantly, and Dylan Larkin's percent of the cap goes from 10% to 7.5% or something like that, well, that's just even better value. That's where you make your killing. So if Eisenman's super confident that the cap is going to go up substantially over the next eight years, Let's just say he should be trying to maximize out by signing every eight year contract he can between now and then, whether that's Larkin, possibly Bertuzzi, Cider, Raymond, whoever, whoever you think is important to this team, take your pick. The time to do it is before, because once it kicks in, every agent's going to see that number. Every team's going to know that number and all your negotiating leverage with all that extra space is gone because all the players are just going to be like, I know you have the extra space. I'm taking it. And then. We're right back to where we are now. So it's all about predicting the future and getting your value now. Well, speaking of cap hits, uh, some major moves uh, in the NHL. JT Miller uh, signed a mega extension with the Vancouver Canucks. Seven years times $8 million. uh, $56 million deal for him. How old is is JT Miller again? 30. Hmm. He can almost almost afford a condo in Vancouver. (laughs) Just barely. Yeah, so that that's one of those contracts I generally look at, and I, my immediate like visceral reaction is, "You, what the hell are you doing? You just signed a thirty-year-old to an eight-year, and that doesn't even kick in now. That kicks in seven-year, seven-year. That kicks in next year. So that's taking him till he's thirty-eight years old. Now, either a Vancouver is supremely confident about this huge jackup in the salary cap that we we're just talking about, and that JT Miller production won't drop off. Or why teams usually and understandably sign these types of contracts is we know we're going to eat it on the back half of this deal, but we're in win now mode and we have a team to win the cup right now. So those back half of the years, who the hell cares? Do they? Um, Yeah, I must have missed the part where (laughs) Vancouver's in their contending window because they sure as hell are not. Other another player who either does or can play center, Tage Thompson in Buffalo, also extended for seven years times seven point. Just over $7.142 million. Holy hell, is everything about that contract stupid? Yeah, everything. That, that's uh hold on to your butts. Like, that, that's li- banking on best possible outcome for Tage Thompson as a player. And he's been fantastic. Yeah, he, he's had, he was amazing this year. And he's not a one-trick pony like everybody thinks he is when they see his size. He's legitimately good uh, off the rush from a distance in tight. He can do it all. He's a good player. But he's only had, this was his first season where he scored more than eight goals. And that's a hell of a bet 
because they're paying him like they're expecting him to improve upon what he did this season, which I think this season would be a pretty good baseline for him. Um, I, I think he's actually more likely to regress than to improve because, again, eight goals was his career high before this. But the part that gets me, and I had to double check this when I heard it, he's an RFA after this year. There was no need to extend him a year out. They could have had a full another year of figuring out what the hell Tage Thompson is. And they're like, yeah, if he had another huge year, you might have to take another mill or two on the AAV, which I don't even think that would. I, I think this was high for him. They could have wait, had a whole nother year of information. They're like, nah, let's just max it out now. That's what Kevin <laughs> Adams hasn't gone to that chapter of the how to be a GM book. My God. You know, like I understand Buffalo has been through a lot and losing the face of your fan- franchise and Jack Eichel right for now, for right now, uh, identity is really important for them. And I, on a like fundamental level, I can agree with that. You need to show your fans and you need to show your team that it is good to be in Buffalo and you want players who want to be in Buffalo. And this is part of buying into that. You pay players who perform well for Buffalo and want to be a Buffalo saver. I I don't think it's impossible or even crazy to say Tage Thompson will be worth this money, but yet for such a drastic yeah. jump in production, why not take the extra year of information? Unless you really think he's going to be a $10 million player after next like, season. You- in which case... So what happens? Kevin Adams throw out the book. You write a new one. What happens if he may, gets 18, 25 points this season? Well, they're screwed. They are. You created an anchor for no reason. And they already. And don't get me wrong. Jeff Skinner is a fine player, but not for what they're paying. Of Jeff Skinner. Yeah. Like I know. How Poso still on Buffalo? Yeah, he was surprisingly productive last year, though. Um, you were saying the point of you know Sabres fans need to know that the good players want to stay. No, no, no. Sabres fans are absolutely on high alert for these types of contracts right now. The reactions I saw from Sabres fans, because again, I Bills fan, so I have a lot of Sabres fans on my timeline. <laughs> it wasn't positive. They are nervous. <laughs> I think nervous is right. I think whether or not you're optimistic about this or you think it's a terrible deal, I, it comes into that middle range of Tage Thompson, based on the last 12 months, is a great hockey player who can definitely be worth this. They need the cap to go up and they need him to keep producing at least at this level and keep improving. Um, Just don't look at uh, his power play production versus even strength production this year. That'll make you even more nervous anyways. So, I'm not here for the rational takes for other teams. Hey, I want full chaos or full happiness, nothing in between. Listen, another team in the division signing a very super risky contract. I'm on board. Let's go. All right, uh, let's jump back to some uh, other signings that are relevant to the Red Wings before getting to uh, more uh, Red Wings-centric news. Both Sam Gagne and Evgeny Sveshnikov have found new teams. Sam Gagne, of course, uh, didn't find a spot with the Red Wings with all the free agents that they added, but signed a one-year $750,000 deal with Winnipeg. And you know what? Sam Gagne wasn't brought in to be a superstar for Detroit. He was brought in to be veteran depth um be a mentor in the room and contribute where he can uh, in the bottom half of the forward lineup and i think he did those things and i think he did them so well i think it was underrated uh he's also i mean you know we had the interview with alex Nedeljkovic recently and he named sam gunny as one of those guys a who put the puck past him in practice quite a bit which is funny uh but who was a mentor in the room and i was it it wasn't unreasonable for Sam Ghani not to find a spot on this roster considering all the moves that happened but I'm really really happy that he found a landing spot it's part of the night's watch now 
Yeah. He's north of the wall. (laughs) It's, he's just seems to be so well liked and appreciated everywhere he goes by all rights. It looks like Winnipeg needs some stability and leadership. Yeah, absolutely. They're, they're in turmoil. They've been in, they've been through a lot. And I think, you know, with the new coach and one last crack at making it work with this roster, I guess, uh, that's a good guy to have in there. So good for him. And Evgeny Svechnikov, a one-year $750,000 two-way deal uh, with San Jose. So Sam Gunny replaced Svechnikov, and Svechnikov found a new home in uh, San Jose. So former Red Wings. Lots of spots open in San Jose. And some Red Wings uh, prospect news. Man, Dmitry Bachelnikov, like we said before, it seems like he's just going to be a human highlight reel. Literally Nikita Kucherov from the other side. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> You know, we really missed Philip Ronick's cannon from the left circle, and we're sad that that went away. But it looks like the Red Wings have drafted another player who has an absolute cannon from the left circle. He's looks either like- going to be an NHL all-star or literally nothing at all. Yeah. But damn, is it exciting to watch. <laughs> I I completely agree with you. I think it's... it's There's no in-between with this guy. Feast or famine. It's all gas, no breaks. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine... Polkinen and Ferg from that spot, but with accuracy. He's, you just had to invoke Polkinen and Ferg, didn't you? But better. By how much, Brad? Like NHL player better or? We're going to find <laughs> out. <laughs> All gas, no bricks. Yeah. Seriously. Uh, having a lot of fun uh, watching him. The Edmonton Oil Kings right now are apparently preparing as if Sebastian Costa is going pro. That's not a guarantee. It's not, you know, a leak or anything, but they're prepping their team as if Sebastian Coase is not going to come back to what the does WHL. That mean? They're, what that means is they're thinking there's a really good chance that Kosa lands a spot with either the Red Wings, unlikely, the Grand Rapid Griffins, maybe, or the Toledo Walleye in the ECHL, maybe. Is that a guarantee? No. And we know that the Red Wings have, you know, signed depth in AHL goalies to fill out those spots uh, over the past little while. And they have more or less some roster there where if Kosa doesn't make it, they'll be okay. Uh, but the door is open for Kosa. And if he comes in and earns a spot, it looks like there is a pro spot maybe available for him, for him to take. He's not being boxed out, so to speak. It would have to be Toledo, wouldn't it? Cause they, they signed, um, Oh my God. How can, am I forgetting his name? The Finnish goalie for Grand Rapids. Uh, Bratstrom's back. Obviously they have their two goalies for the NHL. So, you would have to think Toledo because they're not bumping one of those guys out of Grand Rapids. Uh, it's UC uh, Okinora. That's it. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know, man. AHL deals, minor league deals, like it's that that stuff's movable. It's workable. It's, it is. Yeah. But I don't think Coast is ready for the AHL. What if he comes in and just tears it up at camp? Okay. It's not enough for do, you? No, it doesn't erase the last year. I agree with you. I'm, I'm doing a little bit of devil's advocate here. I do think the ECHL is the most likely. But it's interesting that the Oil Kings, I, I honestly would have expected that they might think they, they could get him back. So to know that they're preparing other goalies to uh, you know, step in and lead the Oil Kings this next season, it, it is interesting. So, And some other quick uh, but important news in international women's hockey. Canada persevered over the United States here uh, today to... Um, Hang on for a 2-1 win and take home the gold. Czechia won bronze. Finland ended up in sixth, which is especially notable because fifth place, Japan. Japan beat Finland. Which is awesome. Love it. This was as as predictable as the gold medal matchup was. 
Everything that happened below it was not what it, it was. Czechia's first ever medal at the Women's Worlds. They beat Switzerland in the bronze medal game. Japan fifth. Finland, who is quite often third in the three-horse race at the top of this, falls all the way to sixth. Sweden was even lower. So, um, unfortunately, it doesn't look like any of these nations are catching up to Canada or the U.S. because um, every time Canada or the U.S. played one of these teams, it was an absolute shit show. But at least there's more competitive balance within that grouping, which is good to see. Okay. And uh, before we jump into overtime here, we have uh, something um, unfortunate but important to talk about. Yeah, so I'm uh, sure most of you who are anywhere on social media over the last week saw that um, a junior hockey player in Canada passed away, uh, collapsed at second intermission, uh, happened in a junior B game in the GOJHL, a player named Eli Palfreyman, who played for the Air Centennials, which is a 20 minute drive from where we're sitting um, right now. So obviously that alone hits close to home and um, you know, the hockey world's huge, but the hockey world is small. So when something like this happens, when a 20 year old passes away mid game, it obviously, you know, has a huge ripple effect. Even the NHL, you know, put out a message about it Um, and it sucks. And um, you know, you hear all these quotes, you know, like, the kid was a great guy, you know, yada, yada, yada. I, I can speak to this one um, a little too directly. Um, but yeah, no, everything everybody's been writing about Eli is bang on. He was your typical hockey goofball. Everybody loved his passion for the game was like infectious. It was, <laughs> he was always wanted to talk about the game, talk about his new stick, talk about, you know, whatever was going down in the league, the NHL, his league, like just tons of passion and energy. And, you know, he was that guy. He got named captain of his team five days before he passed. Um, Everybody loved the guy, tons of energy. Um, So, you know, it it sucks. Um, But I, I wanted to make a point to at least say something. Um beyond the billion articles that have been going out because the hockey world has been extremely supportive. Um, There is a GoFundMe set up for his family if if anybody um, feels like they want to help. And um, if anybody is local, his um, visitation and funeral is this this Tuesday, two days from now. So September 6th. September 6th, yeah. So, um, our thoughts and our prayers go out to, uh, the friends and the family of Eli, um, a tragic loss. Okay. It's time for us to, uh, get into the last phase of this episode and take some questions and comments, um, during our overtime segment and overtime is brought to you by our Patreon supporters, uh, patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast. If you want to join the dub dub club, ask your questions during overtime, get them answered on air, either during this segment or during our Patreon exclusive overtime, uh, which Evan has considerably more fun in. He That's right. Uh, and then we, uh, there's also the discord and then a bunch of other great stuff. And genuinely the, um, patreon's the reason this show runs and we're able to do the things we do so if it wasn't 10 30 at night we'd have better words for you to articulate just how much that means but just know that it means the world it's everything to us so thank you 
Coyote season tickets in Tempe says, I don't think Kevin Adams and Patrick Alvine did Steve Eisenman any favors this week. Thompson and Miller are both several years younger and older, respectively, than Larkin. However, they both got the same kind of term Larkin is likely to get. How much of, it, how much of an impact, if any, do you think these contracts will have on Larkin's negotiations? Um, it's tough to say because I'd say Larkin's comfortably a better player than Thompson. Um, Miller probably at this point better than Larkin, especially based on production. But Thompson's not as good, but younger. Miller's better, but older. So I don't. I, my gut reaction is not a ton. I don't, I don't think it would have had a, a super impact. You know, if the Red Wings were not wanting to pay Larkin or, or sorry, sign him really long term because of his age, I can see the JT Miller thing being really problematic. But Larkin's not in that window. He's considerably younger, and so that com- that conversation makes a lot more sense for him. Plus, we're thinking, and I think everybody's thinking, that Larkin's AV is going to be higher than both theirs was anyway. So It's not complicated, but if we start to see more contracts with higher AV because of the anticipated cap rise, then that's one less bargaining chip Eisman and company have. Uh, okay. Evan's adult film name, Havana Lobsaber, says, Gentlemen, if you could add any player from NHL history who never won a cup to the Wings team, who would you add? doesn't have to be the best, just who you would most like to see. And his vote would be my vote, too. Uh, Pavel Bure would be a fantastic one. A thousand percent. Especially when you know he was close to being in Detroit Red Wings. That's the biggest, like, what if? Honorable mention. Second biggest. Paul Cree and Henrik Lundqvist. Henrik Lundqvist is an interesting one. Jerome McGinley. Ugh. Man, I love Iggy. I, I was trying to think of someone in the NH. Connor McDavid. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good one. Um, uh, Jack Eichel, just give him a playoff round, please. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Eric. Says, uh, hey, boys, how are you? I just wanted to say thanks for the great content. Been listening for a spell, and I thought I'd ante up and support the best dang hockey podcast on this side of the Riviere Detroit. Or Detroit. Actually, he wrote it properly uh, in French. Uh and I'm Eric. Thank you so much for your uh, support and for joining the Dub Dub Club. It says you fellows are cementing yourselves as the voices of Hockey Town. This is incredibly nice. Was this one of us? Who wrote this? Me. Yeah, it's too long to be me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, over the digital airwaves, and I know I speak for all of us hockey nuts when I say we sincerely appreciate the depth and breadth of insight, the thoughtful nature in which it's presented, the work that goes into getting it out to us, and of course the chirping, tummy sticks, and Evan bashing, pitter patter, boys. Question, if it happens that the Wings are either in a push for the wildcard spot or are just holding on to one, who are the expendables, prospects, and or vets that get thrown into deals at the trade deadline? Do we have enough value to make a difference in that scenario? So they're like a fringe playoff team, basically? Yeah. Uh, none. You, you're you not adding if you're in that spot. You're like what your expendables are like fifth, sixth, seventh round picks if you just want a body to fill a hole in case of emergency. I'm, I'm a hard believer in you do not give up any decent assets unless you are in the upper half of the conference and uh, like an actual contender to go several rounds. I think, I think we're all in agreement. Even the Red Wings best case scenario this year is even if they overperform make the play and make the playoffs, they're probably getting smacked in the first round. Like congrats. You get Florida. Yeah. You know, what is it? Go to the dance or dance with the one you came with or whatever it is. If you have a team that's getting you all the way all the way to the playoffs, you still have to acknowledge the future of this team in the long road ahead to be sustainably competitive. Don't mortgage futures for one year and give confidence to the team that put you in that position. That's easier said than done. I can see external pressure 
from ownership, especially to say, hey, playoffs are big bucks. Yeah, you know it's bigger bucks? Winning a Stanley Cup. Yeah. 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 So pull your pants up and relax. And it's been so long since the Red Wings have been in the playoffs. I don't think any fans can have any less excitement for a playoff round if they don't add at the deadline. Uh, okay. Jiggly Pigs, uh, I'm going to amend your question a little bit. Best logo in the NHL and worst logo in the NHL. What would you call it? Red Wings and Ducks. No, not sorry, not the Red Wings. You can't include the Red Wings. Okay, okay. Ducks are the worst. You think the Ducks are the worst? Ducks are absolutely the worst. Uh, okay, I got to run through. I is it? Are this? Where do the stars factor in here? I used low. To, they're terrible. I used to be okay with the the italic D. It just doesn't do it for me. I agree. I think the Ducks have to be the worst, though. Oh, 100%. They are awful. Um, for best, though, I've got a few candidates in my head. I need to pull this up because I literally can't think of anything. I'll, I'll just throw some out then, and then you guys can kind of pick the favorites out of here, like some of my favorites. Sabres? No. You don't like the Sabres logo? It's not the best in the league. Hate hate the team, but I like the Avs logo. Avs logo is great. The Minnesota Wild. Min- Minnesota's good. Uh, Montreal's classic, but the logo's mostly uninspiring. I, low key, I like the Senators logo since they went back to the 2D one. I think Kachina is in contention. Arizona's definitely in contention. Like it or not, Seattle and Vegas are both very good. Yep. The Rangers is a classic. Thoughts I, on I, the Islanders logo? No. No. Okay. It's classic, but yep. it's not one of the best. No, no, no. Oh, wait, no, I wasn't. I was saying I think it's horrendous. Oh, I could oh. If you want to put it at the bottom. I could see it. I wouldn't, but I could see it. It's it's very meh to me. Tampa Bay's is bad. Horrible. Awful. I'm gonna go objective, remove history, remove everything else. Minnesota Wild. Yeah, I like I, I really I, like their logo. I love a logo with layers to it, and I really like what they did. I'm actually a little surprised you're not on board with the Sabres. I love that logo. It's a good one. I don't think it's number one. Um, underrated for worst in the league, LA's. Yeah. You, you have the crown, ditch the shield. Underrated for near top of the league, San Jose. What do you guys think about the Golden Knights logo? I like it a I lot. Like it. I like their jerseys, but I don't know if the logo really does too much for me. It looks like something that... Create a team in NHL. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. I, I do like it. I think it's clever. Yeah, maybe we, uh, we're overdue for uh, um, just a fun little bonus thing of uh, logo rankings. Okay, Matthew Lynch says, Do you think snipers like Zadina can still flourish without a right-handed shooting threat on the opposite side? Watching Mantha try to tee one up from the circle into a defenseman every ship, uh, shift really got me thinking a lot about how more teams smother that one T. It seems to be telegraphed just by certain players being on the ice as that's the obvious play. I will say kind of yes only truly relevant for the power play because you don't really have the option to just set up for a one-timer or a shot like that five on five there's just too much happening too much flow too much maneuvering if it presents itself of course you take it and you go for it um but again not five on five that's only when it presents itself but on the power play yeah if we've seen it with the red wings if you only have a threat on one side it is super easy to shut down i think it definitely influences the play brad just did a good job describing some aspects of that i'll tell you though zadina flourishing and especially with respect to his shot and his one timer i think he's been underwhelming in terms of how 
We've had this conversation before. How big his wheelhouse is, how adaptable he is to shooting. Has he had the best passing in the world? No, he's not had stellar line mates. And we've seen, you know, just like a couple shifts of Jacob Verona, the difference that makes in how he's able to get his shots off. But um, you can thrive in different situations. You need to be unpredictable and you can't telegraph everything though. So if you're just trying to force that, then he's going to have problems. And I think there were there have been times on the ice where he just tried to force that. Okay, uh, it is extremely late. We need to record the Patreon exclusive. So I'm going to wrap up this episode of the Winged Wheel podcast. Folks, uh, if you haven't already, DetroitRedWings.com slash WWP. Again, that's DetroitRedWings.com slash WWP to go get your Winged Wheel podcast night at the LCA tickets October 29th. Get yours uh, before the seats run out. They do sell fast and they do sell plentifully. Um, we have entire sections booked out but you know once the gondola is sold once that uh that perfect lower bowl section is sold uh those tickets are gone so uh get yours today and we're very very excited to see you there i'd like to thank all of our listeners uh new listeners and old all of our patrons uh, anyone who's re- just recently joined the dub dub club thank you so much um it means the world to us. Uh, the sponsors of this podcast uh, episode, NordVPN, and all of our name level sponsors on Patreon. Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Akefer, the Stay Fresh Cheese Bag, Nick Perks, Terry Driver of the number 69 crime, Ryan Hannes Banana, Slamma Jamathong, Matthew M. Rice, Arjun, Ben Hurd, Brandon M., Carl Brutina Nanaluski, Jimmy, Chris P, Citizen High Five, Connor Scovey, Coyote, Coyote Season Tickets in Tempe, Craig Kibble, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Give Blood, Fight Probert, Hassam Al Qasem. I tried so hard and got so far, but in the end, it doesn't Evan Lobsinger. Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Kaylin Wood, Kevin James, King Tone, Kyle Hashman, Marcus, Matt McKay, Nadelkovich, Goalie Number One, Nicholas Fritz, RA, Ryan Hanna, Ryan Hanna, Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Zachary Rogers, uh, General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army, Sam Bankson, Antonio Gracias, Babe Landiscog is a Stanley Cup champion, Ben Barron, Bertuzzi and Heronic Trade Proposal number 69, Brian Vasha, Connor Leighton, Darren Fick, Dave W., Evans Three Whack, Evans Happy Meal Parking Garage, Griffey Boy, James Laporte, Jeremiah Dobo, J.M. Rhapsody, John Evans, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Logan Burgos, Madison Bowie, Matt S., Maximilian, Melissa Erickson, Papa Woody, Puck Norris, Reed, Ryan Hanna, The Prophecy Lobsinger Hot Tub episode, Thick Rick. Thank you all so much. We will talk to you midweek. Patrons. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.